I'd like for you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 1 and the book of Ephesians chapter 1. So we're going to talk tonight about the ascension and the exaltation of Jesus as it fits into the uh, pattern of Christology. It's the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of the person of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 6. And so when they came together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand staring into the sky? This Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And there's a purpose clause here, and I've said many, many times that when you see that, so that, that purpose clause is the purpose of the prayer. Anytime you want to pray this prayer for me, you go right ahead. In fact, I've prayed it often for you, as a matter of fact. So that you may know what is the hope of His calling, that is, so that you may know the, the hope which is the result of His divine call to your life. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And there's an, you need to understand, He's saying that you are the riches of His inheritance. He's not talking about our riches because we have an inheritance from Him. He's saying that you, His saints, are His riches as an inheritance. I love it. Um, and, and that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, no, 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 back up, verse 9. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things, take a pencil and circle all, He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I, I tell you what, one of the greatest doctrines in the New Testament is the doctrine of, that is oft neglected, the ascension and exaltation of our Lord. 
There are times when it would be great, I think, if we could just pull God aside and ask Him some questions. You know, wouldn't that be great? Or, you know, write Him a letter and get one back. We could just ask Him some questions. Maybe we had a phone, just a direct line to heaven, uh, you, where you could just call Him up, collect, of course, you know, call Him up and, and ask Him some, some of these questions and get this answer. I think we'd probably ask him questions that we scratch our head about and wonder about now. There's a lot of them I'd like to, um, you know, ask. Well, I wonder sometimes if the questions we might ask him, if we could ask him a question and get an answer like we'd get an answer from, from our, you know, one from each other, he'd probably get a chuckle, you know, how to, he does have a sense of humor. It's the only way he can abide us is that he does. I, I, I think probably some of our questions, we'd be real serious in the questions. He'd probably just kind of chuckle, you know, what a dumb question, you know. Last year, Jake gave me this book. Where is old Jake? Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's a book about, it says, Dear Pastor, you know. And it's, uh, his questions are things that kids wrote their pastors they were real serious, but it's, it's, it's hilarious. For example, dear pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. <laughs> That's pretty good. Dear pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson. You know, no surprise. Here's one. It says, dear pastor, Please pray for all thine pilots. I'm flying to California tomorrow. Please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. <laughs> and here's one. It says, My father says God can do miracles. If I pass my history exam, that'll be a miracle. So these are pretty serious questions, serious anecdotes or statements, but. Uh, to the to the kids who write them, but we get a chuckle out of that. I I have a feeling that I'd be asking God some questions, and He'd just kind of say, "Man, that needs to go in a book. That's the dumbest question I've ever heard." We 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 don't ask enough questions. We have the answers. We we like to to t spend our time explaining, and we need to ask more questions. Um, the disciples ask questions. And right up to the time that Jesus ascended, they were asking questions and they were hanging on every word. They were trying to find some answers to these riddles and these mysteries of life that, that had come so uh, predominantly to their lives. And just before He ascended, they asked the question of verse 6, Is this the time you're going to establish your kingdom? I like the answer. Now, he said, it is not for you to know the answer to that question. Now, I want you to write that down on the walls of your memory. There are some questions that you get answers for. There are some that you don't. And there are some questions that you have no business asking, and there are answer, those answers are not going to come. He said, now, it's not for you to know the answer to that question. It's a good thing to tell those who are always trying to predict the, the time of the second coming. But he said, I'll tell you what, you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. 
Now, if you have a question to ask, that question may not be answered, but there is something you need to do, and that is you need to be spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ till He returns. That's His answer. And the Scripture says that while they were looking up... Now, it suggests to me that the ascension began and it was a, it was a, a, a gradual thing. It says, while they were looking up, there was this liftoff, you know, from earth. And the Scripture says that they were gazing intently, and the word in the Greek is, they were stretching their necks. The word is stretching. And while they were stretching to see what was going on, Jesus was lifting off from the earth. And there was this um, gradual disappearance. It didn't just disappear from the face of the earth. There was this gradual removal of Jesus from the earth while they were watching, watching it. And two men came standing there, and they were dressed in white. I assume they were angels. And their question was, why are you gazing into the sky? Good question to those who, have, or who, who get so obsessed with the second coming of Jesus, with, with this uh, you know, matter of eschatology. Um, you've been to, you ever been, some of you probably, most of us never been to a space launch, but we've seen them on television. And there's this thing that happens and occurs, and you're just fixed, you're glued to that. And you watch as that space sh- shuttle uh, gradually disengages from the launch pad, uh, you know, the, 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 the stand on the earth, and goes up into the clouds, and we watch it until it's completely out of sight. And that's what is happening here. Now, there is some significance to the ascension of our Lord. Significant to Christology is His ascension. There are three things that are significant about it. First, is it helps us to appreciate the credibility of Jesus. Now, this ascension was pictured two times at least in the life at the beginning of His ministry and the other at the end of it. He came to John the Baptist in the wilderness and inquired, told John, I need to be baptized. And John put him down in the water. That's his death, burial, and resurrection. And they came up straightway out of the water. And that symbolized his resurrection and his ascension. Toward the end of his ministry, he was in the upper room with his disciples. It's found in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. And the Scripture says that he took a towel. He took off his garment, put a towel around him that is, that is symbolic of his condescension, his incarnation. And he knelt down at their feet, symbolical of his, his humanity and his servanthood, and he washed their feet. And then he when, he, when that was finished, he, he stood back up and he put back on his garment and he sat down, symbolical of his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation. And Jesus said in verbally and in, and in example that he had come to die, to be buried, to be raised, to be ascended into the clouds, into heaven. It gives us some confidence in His credibility. Secondly, if He had not gone, the Holy Spirit could not have come. There must be an occasion for the, for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the occasion of the, Holy, of, the, of the coming of the Holy Spirit was the ascension of Jesus. Now that's what He says in the book of Acts. 
is that when I, come, when I ascend, when I leave this earth, I leave this earth for the purpose of sending the Holy Spirit. And you and I are to be grateful for that. He said it's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit comes because He is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. Jesus, of course, was limited to a physical, to time-space arena. It was a historical, literal historical reminder that Jesus will return. Now, when we read the book of Acts and we see Jesus ascending from this earth, and we hear again, this same Jesus you saw ascending into heaven will come again. It is a historical reminder that He's coming back the same way He departed. That is, He's coming literally and He's coming in physical body. That's the significance of the ascension. Now I want us to move from Acts 1 to His arrival in heaven. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now I want you to kind of, you know, there's an, there's an osmosis process, and then there is a thinking process. I get the thinking process here. Ephesians chapter 1 says that when He ascended into heaven, He was given a, an exalted position. He was seated at the right hand of God. He was exalted to an exalted position. So that for the first time, watch this, for the first time, a member of the Godhead was visible in heaven. You ever thought of that? For the first time, a member of the Godhead was visible in heaven. So that at the right hand of God is the visible Christ with nails in His hands and a wound in His side. Something to think about when you're through with the Olympics. And when He exalted Him at the throne, at the right hand, in the exalted position, Watch this carefully. He turned the control of the affairs of this life over to Him, Jesus. And the Scriptures that He put all things in subjection to Him. It's a military term. And it means that He made Jesus the commander-in-chief of the affairs of the world. He put everything under His dominion and authority, absolutely. He placed everything under His dominion as commander-in-chief. Now, if you've already done it, you don't need to do it, but if you didn't, I want you to do it now. I want you to circle the word all. He put all things under His authority as commander-in-chief, which means that everything, watch this, that happens in this world, in this lifetime, if, if, if the Scripture is true, it means that everything that happens in your life and in the lives of the people who live on this earth and all the events of history have either been negotiated, permitted, or caused by Jesus. For He is the absolute authority of all of it. Now, didn't I say that everything that happens to you was He caused... But I did say that everything that happened to you, He at least permitted. Now, if all things are under His dominion, 
He has to give permission for anything to happen that happens. You, you, you believe that? Well, you know, let's just have a little talk here after this is over, because that's what, that's what Scripture says. What happened in your family this past week? What's happening in the affairs of your business? And what is going on in the political arena? Let me tell you something. It's all under His authority and dominion. And nothing will ever happen to you or your family or this world that does not first deal with Him. And He deals with it. For He has everything under His dominion. Exalted position. A name which is above every name. But the next part of this is is interesting. Not only does He give Him an exalted position... He puts us in an exalted relationship. Now I need to read verses 22 and 23 again. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. The gift God gave the church was He gave us, the church, Jesus as our head. He gave Him to the church as head, which is His body, that is the church, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, um, when I first came here, I I, I mentioned, you know, that there are two books that you need to get. One of them was a book by Bilheimer called Destined for the Throne. How many of you... In Ephesians, Paul explains that Christ is the supreme authority in the universe, exalted far above every other name or power or governing authority in creation, and that all things in heaven and on earth have been placed under His feet, that is, under His absolute dominion. Then Paul adds that He is the head of the church, which is His body. Here is not only functional but organic relationship. This is not a mystical, philosophical, symbolical, allegorical, or institutional relationship, but organic unity. Then he illustrates like the members of a board serve in a functional relationship. But watch this. All the foregoing foregoing clearly supports the organic character of the unity between Christ and His church. Are you listening? If Christ has been exalted as supreme authority in the universe and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, wielding all the authority of the Godhead, both in heaven and on earth, and if the church as His body is organically united with Him as the head, where does that place the church? You answer, you talk to me. Where does that place the church if we're organically related to Him as His body and He's at the supreme position of authority? It places us in the supreme position of authority. That didn't take long to figure that out. Now listen to that. At this present throbbing moment, the church, in union with her risen and enthroned Lord is therefore the fundamental preserving factor in this present world order. 
Therefore, by virtue of her organic relationship with Christ, the Supreme Sovereign, she not, on, she not Satan holds the balance of power in human affairs. Now let me, say, let, me, let me tell you what he just said, in case you missed it. If God exalted Jesus to the position of authority in the ascension and exaltation, and if you believe the Scripture, He did. And if we're organically related to Him, and we are, because He is the head of this body, and the body of Christ is the church, and He is at the position of exaltation and authority and power, then we with Him are in that same position. And which that, and that says that the one factor, the one group, the one body in this world that has the, uh, has the power to change history is the church. That the one body that can alter the affairs of history is seated at the right hand of God in authority, which is the body of the church and has the, has the power to, to alter history. We've got to believe that. And so there is this exalted position and this exalted relationship. Now I'm going to come to him. I'm going to say to him, well, God, let me ask you this dumb question. What's Jesus doing now? Pretty good question. What's he doing now? Right now. I'm going to look at it. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. And we'll look at verses 14 through 16. We'll stay in Hebrews just for a minute and we'll, we'll be out of here. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's the ascension. Since we have a great priest who has, uh, high priest who has passed through the heavens, ascended through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Don't ever give up. Don't ever, don't ever recant your faith. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Let us draw, therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in time of need, help in time of need. Now, what is he doing right now? He's serving as high priest and mediator for us. My salvation is secured by His mediation. And He right now is serving as my mediator, my high priest. And He says that we can draw near to the throne with confidence because He represents us there with His wounds. And He goes to the Father. When the devil uses us of sin, Jesus says, you know, the devil's right. He is, He did, He, he is, He's the sinner. And I'm going to plead his case, Father, not on the basis of his merit. I'm going to plead his case on the basis of these wounds. And as our mediator and high priest, he goes to God for us and he goes to us for God and he functions as a mediator and high priest and represents us with his wounds. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 7. Thou hast made him a little lower than angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor and appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For thou, 
Thou hast put all things subjection under his feet, for in subjection, subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Everything subjected to him, but in reality, there's some things that rebel against him, etc. But we do see him who has been made for a has, has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned Him with glory and honor, that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting for Him, for whom all are, are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both He who sacrifices... And those are both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father from which, for which he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He represents us with his faithfulness. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in thanking to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided. Hallelujah. It's got my name right there. The, the ignorant and the misguided. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided, See, since he himself also is beset with weakness. Now, if I dialed heaven tonight and, and asked, God, what is Jesus doing now? You know what he'd answer? He would answer, He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. Now there are sometimes that there are things that I can't even speak. Just groan. And he knows my heart and he interprets my groans and he interprets my tears. And He makes all things work together for good. And He intercedes for me in prayer with groanings. How can I know this? Because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's the way He was on earth. And I would ask Him this question. How could you still love me? How could you ever listen to me? How could you be so patient with me? It is good tonight to be able to say that our Savior has an exalted position of supreme authority and we are in union with Him in that same position. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for the purpose of this sermon, of this great doctrine, to give hope and encouragement and challenge and help us to sense, Father, the victory that is ours and grasp that victory as a church. And let change the course of the world in prayer to lay hold upon our head, our Lord, and by His authority and power bind on earth what is bound in heaven loose on earth what is loosed in heaven. Forgive us because we are weak. 
and we're cowardly and timid because we've never yet grasped what we have and what we are. Give us a vision of that tonight, anew and afresh, we pray in Jesus' name. There are three invitations. I'd like to invite you to come tonight to Christ and give your heart to Him. Come and be saved tonight. Be a part of this church or to rededicate your life to Christ. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.